0: Welcome to Medical Murmurs, Medical Student Edition, where emergency physician Dr. Paris Lovett talks with other doctors about their specialty, and we focus on career questions such as what their professional life is like and how best to get into a specialty and develop a career. If you haven't already, we suggest that you first listen to the main Medical Murmurs podcast, featuring the same guest, before you listen to this one.
1: Unfortunately, with the current landscape of medicine, I won't say unfortunately; it's just a reality that just becomes difficult. Uh, there's a there's a healthcare crisis. We don't have enough psychiatrists. Point blank, there's not the mental health needs are not going to be met by um, more psychiatrists. And as a matter of fact, it's not going it, to. We would. I've talked with other colleagues in regards to. This, they're not going to be made by. Um, more of our colleagues in uh, the field of nurse practitioners or physician assistants. So it's going to require just a different approach, uh, what Saul Levin calls a moonshot, um, in terms of how we conceptualize the treatment of mental health.
2: Now, so the majority of your clinical work is on consult, is that correct? The majority
1: of my clinical work um, is currently, I would say, in the hospital. Yes, I would say it. over the years it's been on consult, but at times I spent... Um, a bit of time on the inpatient unit, just to kind of break it down. When I first came to GW, I was actually mostly outpatient with maybe 10 to 15% consult. Um, I was recruited by uh, Jeff Ackman, um, as well as uh, Dr. Jeff Ackman and Dr. James Griffith. And eventually, I want to say roughly around in 2009, I headed up the CL service. Um, and at that point in time, I worked really closely and under the tutelage of Dr. Trinidad, who at that point in time was the medical director and head of uh, GW psychiatric and behavioral services. And then when Dr. Trinidad left, I took over um, as medical director and I stayed in that post for roughly about four or five years. Um, And so where am I going with this? Over the years, my ratios of outpatient to hospitalist uh, psychiatry um, have to specialized clinics have changed. And I actually, as I've grown, I actually view, even though we talk about CL psychiatry, which is its own field in psychosomatic medicine, I've come to view it, um, I kind of think about people as being hospitalist or outpatient or specialized. So I kind of break it down into those free broad camps, because in reality, when I go to the hospital now, it's just honestly, my colleagues wouldn't like it. I mean, to me, the hospital is just one big psych floor. I mean, it doesn't matter. I mean, wherever I go is wherever I go. I mean, I spend just as much time in the ED as I do on the medical floors as I do on the inpatient. And the patients, in reality, crisscross all of those. So I mean, uh, I don't want to get too silent with it.
2: And for the listeners who are not uh, physicians or providers or uh, in healthcare themselves Let's explain what what consult liaison is.
1: Sure, absolutely. All right. Uh, Consult liaison psychiatry um, is a field um, in which the psychiatrist is trained in terms of treating those uh, who have comorbidities frequently in regards to medical illnesses such as cancer, hypertension, uh, things of that nature. The consult psychiatrist is a psychiatrist who is called by other teams to answer specific questions questions, all right? So if your patient, the class, some classic questions are, uh, does the patient have capacity to consent to this procedure? Another question is, uh, the patient has an altered mental status. Uh, what is the cause? This is a concept for delirium. Other questions are, the patient's mood has gotten low. We are concerned about whether or not this patient is suffering from What is the cause of their low mood, whether it is a primary depression, a secondary depression, so to speak? Uh, This is where the CL psychiatrist comes in and evaluates the patient, uh, makes um, recommendations for the team, and will continue to follow the patient. Now, the lost art is one of liaison, um, whereas that has to deal with uh, the role of the CL psychiatrist in educating the team, as well as the patient, as well as for lack of a better word, making system level interventions in terms of how, for instance, you have a patient who has an interpersonal style that is very challenging or difficult. How do you liaison with the patient um, as well as the team, as well as the system and get everything working the way that it, that it should be? That, that That's a liaison is a real big term for like, Just make sure you talk to everybody, make sure everyone's on the same page. All right. But believe it or not, that's actually a bit of um, depending on where you're at. That's a lost art. I was very fortunate to be trained um, in psychosomatic medicine um, at Yale by Dr. Paul DeSan, who is, as far as I'm concerned, is one of the finest uh, CL psychiatrists ever. And I thought that he personified that. And I also was very fortunate um, to have additional training um, when I was a junior attending by Dr. James Griffith, who is another premier Superb uh, CL psychiatrist, as well as uh, I had incredible mentorship by Dr. Kathy uh, Crone, who's the vice chair of psychiatry um, at Fairfax, who is, uh, in my words, a preeminent CL psychiatrist, as well as the chair, uh, the former chair of ANOVA Psychiatry, um, Dr. Tom Wise. So I was just very fortunate to have people who really understood the art and science of uh, CL psychiatry.
0: Medical murmurs. Medical student edition.
1: I think in any field of medicine you're gonna to have to have something of this, but what I refer to it is, and I uh, borrowed it or use it, uh, my colleague Dean Haywood used it all the time, and I've since just adopted it myself. Spirit of curiosity. You have to you have to be curious about people. You have to be curious, you have to ask yourself questions. So that's how to get back to your point in terms of not missing things, all right. You you have a tendency not to miss things when you're curious about things and you don't take them at face value. The other thing that I find helpful is that um, that spirit of curiosity lends it also is that you don't wall yourself off. You don't think the negative about every situation. Like here, I'll give you a classic example. Um, A lot of times you'll have a recurrently readmitted patient that comes to the ED um, and people will toss out a term um, that I actually don't like that people use too much unless they know how to use it, which is malingering. Uh, I don't like the use of the term because it stops people from thinking. They stop being curious about what's going on. Okay, the patient is mal- maybe maybe may malignant, but why is that the case? What else? What are the next steps? What are the questions? Uh, what? How is the system interacting with the person? So I think that if you keep a spirit of curiosity, as well as you start to really start to look at things in regards to human nature... Um, you tend not to, you tend to notice things that other people won't. And then the other thing is honestly, just to not make it profound or anything, um, is practice. Um, And it's time, not practice, but um, as I tell the medical students, um, your teachers are patients. So um, yes, I spend a lot of time doing CL psychiatry. So, you know, I'm roughly going to see some, depending on the day of the service, I could easily see anywhere between five to eight new patients, sometimes a day, sometimes only two, and then you follow them. But I also um, had, at one point in time, and I still do, a very big, robust outpatient practice. So I've seen, so I've had patients that i work with for 10 years. So I've actually seen the evolution and development, and every single one of those patients has taught me something. So after a while, if you listen and you it just starts to stack up. So you just, you have all these life lessons that people have shared with you, as well as the textbook and the scholarship knowledge. And then you start to, you just naturally start to pick up things. I want to say, I don't know if it was Blink or something of that nature where they said it's um, roughly 10 years of work in your field before you start to develop like really, really, really nuanced. I want to say it's like 10,000 hours, something of that nature. There's some truth to that. There's some truth to that if you uh, also look at uh, other things that people have looked at in terms of like, physician development and stuff like that.
0: You are listening to Medical Murmurs, Medical Student Edition. If you enjoy this podcast, don't forget to review us on iTunes and other forums. You can also visit medicalmurmurs.com and sign up to hear about new episodes.
2: So what would you consider to be the highs and the lows in your working life? Mm, The highs are seeing people... um,
1: develop. Um, are you talking about, well, the highs are seeing patients as well as students develop along their own uh, specific and unique um, ways. Um, the lows, I would probably have to say, deal with dealing with more in the realms of bureaucracy, um, paperwork. Uh, it's like, a I would consider it like a minor hassle, um, but it adds up. Here's an example, like medication pre-authorizations like that. It's a minor low, but they add up. So, I mean, me having to call in an authorization for a patient who's taken, let's say, Lexapro or something of that nature for 10 years, um, and then being on the phone for 15 minutes, um, that to me is a minor low that continues to add up. So to me, that would be a low. Um, obviously, um, a low, a very big low is if, uh, you lose a patient. That's particularly in psychiatry, that is, that is a profound, profound low that you process isn't the right word. I mean, you know, you absolutely have to process it and you have to see how it makes sense or meaning in your life. But if I had to pick on the the actually I can I can I can talk yeah if I had to pick about here are the lows. Um loss of a patient. Um Temporary low, but low nonetheless. Um, medical student who does not match. All right. Um, temporary low because most medical students do end up going on to match, um, the vast majority of. And then the other super duper, super duper is the wrong word, catastrophic, tragic low that I've only had to go through once. And I hope to never go through again is the loss of a medical student, um, medical student who's died.
2: And I guess in both of the cases of patients and medical students we're talking about suicides. Yes, we are. We are, we're talking
1: about uh we're talking about suicides. Um I'm a it, it's it hurts when you lose someone to uh it can hurt when you lose someone to cancer or ALS, but you're you've kinda of prepped for that. With suicide it's a bit different. Um not a bit different, it's a lot different. It's very, very, very different. Mm.
2: Looking back, what do you think have been the greatest changes to your specialty during your time in medicine? And where do you see it going?
1: The greatest changes to... my specialty, um, you touched on it earlier, I think, has been, because there have been different, if you will, revolutions, if you will. At one point in time, we were more psychodynamic, psychoanalytic based. Then, um, if you will, we moved to a more psychopharmacological base. Um, we're still kind of in that, but the promise of psychopharmacology is limited. Uh, we were hoping that genetics, precision medicine, and things of that nature um, is would have been the answer. That also has been limited. I think probably the biggest recent change, um, if I had to put, is more movement towards um, integrated care and population health. Psychiatrists treating, um, if you will, populations in collaboration with uh, other clinicians, primary care, uh, nursing practitioners, social work. If you look at all the big systems, that's where things are moving because you just have no choice. So I personally think that the way psychiatrists are trained right now to practice, everything at some point in time, I want to say Jeff Ackman, it's going to turn into CL because in order to meet the mental health burdens, you're going to have to learn how to practice in that way. There's always going to be a place for individual outpatient clinicians and practitioners. But to me, that's the biggest move is towards population health and integrated care if I had to pick one in more metric trigger and stuff.
2: What kind of person does well or badly In psychiatry and particularly you know who's suited to it who might find themselves disappointed who should think about doing psychiatry and who should think i don't know that i'm suited
1: um high level of emotional um intelligence awareness pristine boundaries um and the ability to recognize contain or transform pain your own or someone else's
2: that's very succinct
1: uh, I've spent a lot of time thinking about it. Uh, I was also an associate program director. So uh, every, yeah, those, yeah, I think about that quite a bit. So I, I can tell you right now, it's it's not, I would say with most areas of medicine, um, it's, not, it's not the X's and O's, like in terms of the medical knowledge, things of that nature, because that's constantly changing. Um, it's, again, emotional awareness, intelligence, um, pristine boundaries, and your ability to recognize, contain, and transform pain your own or someone else's.
2: How does someone know whether they have those characteristics
1: um honest and sincere reflection and like anything else it's going to be a leap of faith but to just kind of uh put it um in perspective um can you actually listen to someone without intervening and um to an an extent um Understand their pain without necessarily feeling it, and work in a collaborative spirit with them to transform it. But to me, the biggest thing is: can you listen without yourself decompensating um, or feeling the need to immediately fix? If you cannot, because the cornerstone is it's not the talking. This you touch on the pairs. It's the ability to listen with nuances. This is where the emotional awareness comes from. So, I mean, you're. And also, if you do not, (laughs) to make it really simple, uh, if you have an issue working with people uh, that are going through, that has suicide, then psychiatry isn't for you. Like, seriously, you got to honestly ask yourself that question because that's kind of what you're going to be doing a whole, whole lot. And if you are not able to be in that affective space, then you're going to, for years, like decades, you're going to have some challenges.
2: What's the best way? to get into psychiatry? If you're an MS2, you're thinking it might be for you. What should you do Okay. Uh, to maximize your chances of matching? Sure.
1: Um, what I would do is um, I would shadow um, a psychiatrist as soon as you possibly can. That could be um, pretty difficult to do outpatient because uh, most of the time you can't do that. But I would shadow someone on the inpatient floor um, and see really what that's about. I would absolutely attend um, the APA meetings. I would go to the psych interest groups, um, and I would also speak to the residents. So I would start there. Um, What I would not say that you have to do compared to other fields is I do not necessarily think you have to get involved in research or things of that nature early on. Um, After you have exposed yourself to the field and uh, others, um, then I would really focus on my every rotation, um, particularly your psychiatric rotation, but every rotation in terms of whether or not, you know, you are invested in hearing patients' stories and blending them with neuroscience, okay? Um, then hopefully with that, if you've kept your connections in your networks, maybe you've already started some type of research or scholarship, maybe you haven't or whatnot, Um Then by the time you're in your fourth year, uh, clearly do one or two advanced um, internships um, in psychiatry. You can do a ways. They're not mandatory in any way, shape or form. But I would say what people look for in psychiatry is your awareness of the field, you showing a longitudinal interest um, and your awareness of yourself. That's probably if you really want to know how much work have you done on yourself? That like, how, how have you asked yourself really, really hard questions? Psychiatrists get really interested, as far as I'm concerned, on the level and work of introspection that you've done. So when you are, so for instance, if you haven't done that work, it's going to come across in the interview. So compared to other fields, like the interview is paramount in any time you're trying to match, but in psychiatry, <laughs> it's everything. So um, if you have not done that work, we're going to pick it up very quickly. So. Lots of introspection in terms of why you're going into the field, uh, which requires nothing more than your own labor, as well as talking with others, showing a longitudinal interest in investigation, and then actually showing a sincere commitment, particularly in your fourth year, to working on mastering your craft. And I think, obviously, with all the other types of things ticked off, um, you have a very good chance of matching into psychiatry if you do what you need to do.
2: Now, once you're a resident in psychiatry, and that's going to be your field, What do you think is the best way to develop a career in order to achieve success and satisfaction?
1: All right. Um, Short answer, find something you love um, and master it and devote yourself to it in regards to scholarship, all right, Um, if you're going down an academic route. And even if you're not, find something or some particular aspect of psychiatry that you love that, you know, you'll do the commercial for it. They don't got to pay you. You're like, yeah, dude, I am all CBT. Like Marsha Hin- Linham, I love you, which I do because of DBT, Dialectical Behavioral Therapy. Um, you know, you find something that you love and then you keep doing it. Um, that's going to prevent you from getting burnt out. There's going to be many things that you do that you appreciate and respect. There's going to be probably like 10 to 15% of stuff that it just it's just not your thing. You don't do it. You don't like it. And that's, But that's going to add up. If you find something that you love and you turn that into either your main form of work or productivity, um, that's to me, that's how you do it to keep it simple. I can get more granular based off of whether or not you want to go into academics, whether you want to if you're trying to build a private practice, whether you're going to maybe be practicing at a larger institution uh, doing population health like a Kaiser. It all depends. But all of it. For me, the success is in finding a key area that you yourself... The word love is overly utilized. I will use love in a term of a profound sense of respect and belief that it works. That's what I mean by love, and that you're willing to invest the time, and that's why I said DBT.
2: Dr. Lorenzo Norris, thank you for coming to talk with me on Medical Moments.
1: Absolutely, Paris.
0: This is Medical Murmurs, Medical Student Edition. This podcast was focused on career issues of particular interest to medical students and prospective medical students. We suggest you also listen to the main Medical Murmurs episode, featuring the same guest, discussing a wider range of issues and sharing stories for a more general audience. Check it out.